Oh, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, and of course, that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, and uh, first up, of course, we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And it is light now, at least. Yes. <laughs> I think this Not for the... much longer. No, not no, not this... when you got up. <laughs> no, well, not when I got up. And, yeah, it's the first one that I really feel like uh, it was dark when I got up. So it was, uh, yes, it was real sort of winter weather starting to come in. Actually, it was drizzly this morning too. So, yeah, uh, yeah, up at Macedon it was drizzly this morning. So hopefully there'll be a bit of a, a dew over things that uh, comes on with the autumn, which I think is really actually all part of the season. I like that sort of feel. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the garden's looking fresh and nice, even though we could do with a good drop of rain. Uh, It's got dry suddenly, so I don't know know when we're due some. It doesn't look all that hopeful in the forecasts ahead. uh, No, no, uh, we could really do with a good watering. Yes, well, uh, all my garden's becoming quite hydrophobic at the moment. So you put a sprinkler on and it just runs off the surface and down the driveway. Yeah, that's great. This isn't helping any. So, yes, I've got to break the cycle somehow, and a good drop of rain seems to do that. Yep, We've yep. been sport this year too. It's been you know, just regular rain through the springtime. It was great for plants and stuff around the place. Yeah. We have to officially say good morning to no, you, Graham okay. Morrison. Yes. <laughs> Speaking up before, before my turn. That's <laughs> all right. That's fine. <laughs> yes. Well, you must be in the midst of fruiting <laughs> yes, at well, the that, moment. That, Everything that, will that, be that, in fruit. Too, my, for, for, for 40-odd fruit trees and berry, berry trees, I've been enjoying some of that. Actually, this morning I've brought you in some bre- breakfast. We might oh, sample God. these after a while. We've got a, a late Crawford peach there, a black Genoa fig, and uh, and some Cape gooseberries. Oh, wow. So the, 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 there we go. The, yep. the, the listeners will be able to listen to us munching on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, makes great radio. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to get straight into announcements because we do have quite a few to get through uh, this morning. Uh, first up, uh, first Sunday in the month means that Villa Alba, of course, is open to the public again today. Um, open from 1 through to 4 o'clock this afternoon. Both the Historic House and the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden there. Uh, Villa Alba, of course, is at 44 Walmer Street in Kew. Uh, entry is $10, concession of $8 and children are free. And... Uh, today is the second day of the opening of Karen Sutherland's Garden, Gunya. Uh, this is at 22 Lochinvar Street in Pascoe Vale. Now, uh, this is a, a really inspiring urban food gardener, uh, garden, um, of course, designed by Karen. And uh, she's got more than 200 edible and useful plants there, um, all in an ornamental setting, including herbs, vegetables, vines, citrus, fruit and nut trees and all sorts of other um, edible species plus Australian bush foods. So uh, it's really, uh, if you haven't ever been out to see Karen's Garden, it's definitely worth a visit. Um, She's also got aquaponics, rooftop gardens, uh, bees, chickens and uh, a nature strip planting. Now she's going to be giving talks today 
uh, 11 through till 12 and again 2.30 through till 3.30. Plus she'll have regular guided tours of the garden and there'll also be extensive sales of rare edible plants, sale of her honey and other garden items. So uh, plenty to go and see and hear there. That's uh, 22 Lock and Var Street in Pasco Vale South. There's parking in adjoining streets there. Now, also on today is the second day of the Cloud Hill Festival of Flowers. Um, you can meet some of the expert growers there. There'll be garden tours. Um, there'll be uh, workshops if you booked in for those. There's also going to be flower arrangement uh, demonstrations and plenty for children to do as well. So that's all happening today. Um let me see if I can find the times for you. Uh, time is 9am, so it's opening nice and early, 9am, running through till 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, and, of course, uh, Cloud Hill is uh, up there in the Dandenongs. Um, again, if I can find... There we go. 89 Alinda Monbolk Road in Alinda. So 89 Alinda Monbolk Road in Alinda. And this Alinda CFA will also be selling uh, sausage uh, there. So uh, go and support the CFA as well and grab a, a sausage to eat for the day. Now, um, as well, we have a few other things happening. Um, the Australian Textile Ex- Exhibition has opened. It started yesterday. Now, this is down at the auditorium in the Australian Garden Visitor Centre at Cranburn Gardens. And this is uh, their sixth Australian textile exhibition, Um, again being coordinated by Lisa Chandler of Chandler's Cottage. And uh, there'll be all sorts of wonderful uh, textiles there on display with quilting, embroidery, uh, plus many, many more. Uh, Lisa also has um, donated very kindly uh, another lovely quilt to be raffled off by the friends there to assist with uh, uh, the ongoing, de- ongoing development of the gardens down there. So uh, tickets for that are $2 each and you can get those at the, um, at the exhibition and that will, winning entries will be drawn today at 3.30. So head on down if you'd like to run along and be part of that uh, that raffle drawer and also to see the textile exhibition. Now, uh, also on, let me see, coming up next Saturday, this one is, uh, Saturday the 11th of March, the Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club uh, have got their 96th annual autumn show. Fantastic. So it's next Saturday only. Um, it's being held at the Glengala Community Hall, which is on the corner of Simming Street and Glengala Road in West Sunshine. So that's Simi Street with an IE on the end, Simi Street and Glengala Road, West Sunshine. The Melways reference there is 40E2. They're going to have displays of dahlias, roses, floral art, fruit, nut and vegetable sections. Um, admission is free for that one. Um, afternoon tea for a gold coin donation and they're open 11am running through till 4 o'clock. So that's next Saturday. And uh, next, uh, the, gosh, there's a lot on next weekend so I'll try and get through uh, a couple of these. Firstly, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society have got their annual plant collector's sale and garden expo on next weekend running both Saturday and Sunday. 
It's up at the garden at 100 Hilton Road there in Sassafras. Starting at 10 o'clock, running through to 4 o'clock on both days. Entry is $5 per person. Children under 14 are free. And the expo features top nurseries from the Dandenong Ranges and popular nurseries from rural Victoria. So gardeners can meet the nursery people who grow and propagate all the plants, some very rare and collectible, and you can get uh, gain their expertise at the same time. There'll also be a variety of stalls, and they'll have available garden tools, safety equipment, gloves, secateurs, art and garden ornaments. So... Um, There'll be light refreshments, uh, sausage sizzle and Devonshire teas available as well. So that's all happening next weekend, um, Saturday and Sunday, uh, 10 o'clock through to 4 on both days. Now, the big happening uh, next weekend is up at Reedsdale. Now, Reedsdale uh, once a year have a big bush market. Now, that's coming up next Sunday, the 12th of March. This is held in the Agnes Mudford Reserve, which is at 2631 Kyneton Reedsdale Road in Reedsdale. Now, uh, they're going to have uh, uh, the Bendigo and District Concert Band will be entertaining the crowds. There'll be children's entertainment, including face painting, an animal farm and a jumping castle. There'll be several car clubs displaying their vehicles. The market actually begins at 9am. It'll finish at 2 and there'll be um, a wide selection of stalls ranging from local produce, including <coughs> olives, honey, jams, chutneys, preserves, herbs, spices, beef jerky, cake stall and plants, right through to clothing, fishing tackle. Goodness, they've got everything. Crochet, glassware, crockery, you name it, I think they're going to have it. Um, so uh, that's all happening next uh, Sunday. But um, also in Reedsdale next weekend... And open on both days are three open gardens, opening for Open Gardens Victoria. Now, uh, there are, as I said, there are three gardens opening. The first one is Rocklands. This is at 632 North Reedsdale Road in Reedsdale. Also, uh, Collaban Springs, which is at 866 Collaban Park Road in Reedsdale. And the third one is Stone Axe, which is 390 North Reedsdale Road, Reedsdale. So those three gardens are all opening next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, 10 o'clock through till 4.30 for all three of the gardens. Entry price is $8. Um, under 18s are free. Students, $5. And once again, um, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us three uh, double passes to give away. Now, you can, uh, if you ring in, um, you can have a double pass for one of those gardens. So that means three people can each phone in and get a free double pass for one of those gardens in Reedsdale for next weekend. The number to call is 94190155, and the first three people to phone in can secure one of those free double passes and they will be posted out to you. All right. Uh, Discovery Walk down at Geelong Botanic Gardens is uh, happening again uh, next um, next Sunday, again, 12th of March, uh, 2 o'clock. You meet the guide at the front steps of the Geelong Botanic Gardens. Entry is gold coin donation. 
and uh, you'll be exploring the silver border, the perennial border and the salvies on, salvias on that garden walk. So that's next Sunday at 2 o'clock. Uh, now, coming up as well with the Friends of Burnley Gardens, they're going to be presenting their next meeting. Now, this is Wednesday the 15th of March, so you've got some notice of this coming up. But this is their next talk, and it's going to be... Uh, Presented by John Rayner. He's going to be talking about growing, killing, uh, learning and succeeding with plants at Emerald. I'm glad he, he mm. mentions that he kills the odd plant as well as, as succeeding. Yes, well, we all do. <laughs> we all do, oh, exactly. <laughs> so uh, John, of course, has a two-acre garden at uh, Brookdale Farm at Emerald and uh, he'll be speaking from his uh, experience of that garden. Now, the meeting's being held down at Burnley Campus, room 10 in the main building. Burnley Campus, of course, is at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. 7 o'clock for drinks and nibbles, 7.30 for the talk. Cost for members of the Friends Group, $5. For non-members, $15. And plenty of parking available there in the boulevard. Graham, you also have uh, something there to mention. Yeah, a cu- <laughs> couple of things there, Pam. I suppose that it's well... Uh... Uh, advertised anyway but the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show uh, coming up at the end of this month starts on the 29th of March through to the a- April 2 and then uh, Tura Pear Party sounds sounds good up at Tura I think at 18A Mill Street Tura from 10am till 4pm sales of pear cider they've got a great uh, s- s- uh, collection of uh, heritage uh, pe- pe- pear varieties up there if you're interested in that that sort of thing a pear sausages, pear chutney, and uh, yeah, a, 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 a good time up there. Excellent. Okay. And, of course, Stephen, we should mention that your open garden is coming yes, up. Yes, in a fortnight, the 18th and 19th, uh, Tagurium will be open for its first opening for Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, so we're looking forward to seeing as many 3CR um, listeners there as possible. It would be really nice to catch up with people. And... Uh, Yes, I think the garden should be looking quite good uh, for that weekend, as long as I keep pottering away and getting things tidied up. Uh, and if we get that bit of rain. Oh, yes, if we get the bit of rain, it'll help me know it. It'll really be bursting forth. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so it'll be from um, 10 till 4.30 both days, uh, the normal $8 entry. Um, so this will be our first opening for the scheme, so it'd be nice if we had a really good roll-up uh, on that weekend. Now, you better give out the address. It's 8 Centenary Avenue and parking is in Marshall Avenue, which is off Mount Macedon Road. And uh, hopefully we'll have it reasonably well signposted for the day. Uh, We're pretty adept at it, so we're sort of very good at getting signpostage all the way from the freeway up Mount Macedon Road. I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah, so I'm sure it'll be fine. um, And, yeah, I I think uh, if the the weather's kind to us on the weekend, it should be a a really good early autumn opening for people to see what the garden can look like after the summer. So I'll be Wonderful. Yeah. This sort of weather at the moment is just perfect for having a wander around a garden. Oh, yes. If we get sort Magical. Of this sort of weather, especially if we get a little bit of mist or dew overnight just to sort of dampen things down, it will be fantastic. It will. A little bit early for autumn colouring. 
just the first autumn colourings just starting to come in. So I've got a feeling there'll be a few things that'll have turned by a fortnight from now. Uh, Possibly the Virginia creepers. Uh, I noticed some of my um, uh, cutleaf sumac is starting to colour slightly. So it's not going to be high autumn. No, no. uh, But we decided on a fairly early opening to sort of beat the real rush of autumn colour this year because Mount Macedon becomes sort of gridlocked in the autumn these days. Uh, (laughs) I can imagine. We seem to have... You know, tourists from everywhere that sort of block up the mountain uh, (laughs) to come up and look at red leaves. And uh, so we thought, well, if we have a slightly earlier opening, then we're possibly going to be safe from... Get a bit of both worlds. Yeah. So anyhow, we'll see how it all goes. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yes. I've been out there weeding and mulching and feeding and pruning and shredding and doing almost everything I can think you have to do to get a garden up and ready for an opening. So there you go. Of course, you realise you've got to leave one weed somewhere... There'll to be a see really, how observant people yeah, are. There'll be a really good milk thistle somewhere that I missed. I'm, I'm convinced of that. You nearly always have one of those. I remember we had a, a group through the garden. I think they were an international group, actually, not that terribly long ago. And I met them at the front entrance to the garden. And I just glanced down to my right, and there was a blackberry and a milk thistle. <laughs> right at the entry to the garden. Did you quickly I stand on them? I know. I sort of stood in front of them, you know, and, and hoped nobody would notice. <laughs> How the dickens did they get in there that I didn't notice them? But yeah, yeah you almost always have something like that. Oh, so yes. I'm sure I will have one there somewhere. I'm sure you will. Yeah. No, that's hilarious. We must uh, invite our, our listeners to join us too if you have a gardening question this morning, particularly uh, if you want to ask about uh, fruit trees, anything edible. Uh, while we have Graham Morrison in the studio this morning, do give us a call. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Now, Graham, you've brought in some goodies for us to taste. Yeah, Tell us a bit car. about them. Yeah, good, good, good one, Pam. Uh, I've got uh, a, a late Crawford peach there, and I've got a black Genoa fig, and I have also some uh, Cape gooseberries. Uh, I guess you know people out there are probably not, not not aware that just you know maybe you know Petty George they talk about two hundred different varieties of apples, uh, and, and my brother Ro- Robin had thirty eight different varieties of peaches. So Goodness. a bit of a collection of those of those around the place. Well, I think you still got t- t- twenty varieties of peaches there, and I reckon. Uh, you know, you, you talk about the wine industry and, you know, how they they get into, uh, it's got a, t- a tinge of black, blackberries and uh, uh, b- 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 burnt orange. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes... Shag feathers. You sometimes wonder whether they can actually taste these things. And they, sometimes they say there's, there's peach in there as well. But peach is not always peach, you know. There's, there's so many different tastes and flavours. Very difficult to describe, describe, which is beyond my capabilities. But uh, this late Crawford has got a rather distinctive one. Indeed, with my brother Robin again, if uh, you know you gave him a blindfold test and you gave him a specific variety, he would pretty well, you know, sure that he would be able to say what variety that that wow. actually per peaches of of the. Uh, th- 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 That's th- a talent. Years. It is, yeah, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, uh, this one we go, we're going to t- pass around and we'll, we'll, we'll taste and you'll hear us munching around out there in Radio Land. But uh, the other one is black Genoa fig. Uh, there are you know there are quite a few fig fig varieties when you get, get, get to that one. There's a guy over in South Australia has got 30-odd varieties. Uh, I, I think... Uh, 
brown turkey is my fa- fa- favourite one of the ones that reg- mm. re- re- regularly sold around the place. It's a bit elongated, but a lovely flavour. Uh, the black black chinoa is the the glamorous one. It's a big big, big fig, lovely red, red 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 inside, and certainly a lovely fig. I think the art of figs is to actually you know pick them off the tree as, as a ripened fig. Uh, you buy them in the in the supermarkets and stuff, and because of the the the, the, the age of them, they're, they're, they're never all that great, I don't think. They don't keep, but, they uh, don't have the flavour if they're picked too no, young. No, yeah, yeah, they that, don't. That, that, that's the other thing, sure, sure. Yeah, and yeah. the problem is they don't keep. No. They really don't. No, they're very perishable. True, 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 true. But I've got, I've got, got organised at home. I've got a cage, I probably told you before, that I... Built from remnants of the the old nursery, and uh, certainly possums and uh, 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 birds, and uh, I'm the only thing that can get in that cage, sort of thing. So. Yes. And I've got a mulberry, a, a fig tree, and, and a cherry tree, all of which you know the birdies really. Oh get, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. They really go for them. Home, home in on. So, so that, that that's all all good. Uh, the, the the other one is the Cape Gooseby. There's uh, early ones put out had di- different flavour altogether. That uh, the nursery up at Tulangi grow, grow these. It's a very relatively new one. Not every year. It's sort of a little bit sort of scenty flavour. But yeah, just, if you if you go and get game. All right. uh, Stephen? Of course I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'll have a crack at almost anything that I'm told is edible. <laughs> okay, so uh, we, we should clarify that the peach is a yellow yeah, flesh tr- peach, tr- true. not a that, white that, that, one. That's true. For starters, yes. uh, you know, you've got yellow and white, white, white flesh peaches. Yes. You've got cling stones and you've got fr- 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 free, free stones. So, some are more hairy on the outside than, than, than others. But so, so, Those so, Cape gooseberries aren't bitter. No, that, that's true. There's a difference. It's, it's, yeah, because yeah, I'm used it? to having them when I go to Madagascar because it's a oh, common fruit oh, there yeah, yeah, yeah. and they yeah, call them sure. pukpuks. Yeah. And uh, uh, they're or- more orange. I was going to say they're oranger, but I'm not sure that that's a word. Uh, they're more orange than these ones, yeah, sure. uh, but they've got a real bitterness to the yeah, fruit, whereas these yeah, haven't. They've got a, a real sweetness yeah, to the fruit. Sweet, sweetness. That's true, true, yeah. But, uh, for the listeners mm, out there, yummy. Cape, Cape gooseberries that come with a little sheath of uh, uh, leaf, l- 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 leaf, I suppose, around the outside of them. You, you peel that off and pop them in the mouth, and the little bush gets up to about almost half half, half a metre. Mm, they're uh, beautiful. About, about the mm, same they're really family. nice Cape gooseberries. Mm, they are. Mm, lovely. Mm, yeah, they're one of those fruit mm, I can mm, normally say, oh, yeah, I'll take or leave. Yeah, yes. But these ones actually have a really very pleasant flavour. Yeah, yeah, yes. Excellent. But, uh, if the people out there ask their nurseries uh, about the Tulangi uh, Cape gooseberry, yeah. All right, well, I better have a go crack at some of these other things here. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, we, might, yeah. we might go to our oh, first caller. Call yep, so we're going to go to uh, Joan, who's in Parkdale. Good morning, Joan. Hello. Joan. Uh, uh, Graham, uh, we have um, a William and a Bureboth pair. Sure. And they had black spots on them this year. Yeah, you've got the two varieties that are good there. They're, they're, they're poll- po- they pollinate one another, of course. Pears, uh, you know, they, they, they must must have a, a pollinating variety, so that they uh, they uh, you get the fruit fruit out of the things. Black spot is a you know it's a it's a problem of the uh, poem industry. Uh, apples and and, and and pears get in probably this year because of the the lengthy periods of rain we had. It'd be more uh, 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 the situation would lend to that that, that sort of thing. Uh, 
in, in, in these commercial orchard time, Joan, we, we would spray with Bordeaux, and that, that that would be sprayed at what we what we call green tip, when when they're just emerging from from their dormancy in the springtime, you and and uh, you know Bordeaux or the, the blue stone sprays that that's accepted in the, uh, but the uh, uh, or, or, or organic uh, gardening. Uh, uh, rules and regulations so I think it's really next year we would follow up by some other uh, fung- fungicides in the com- commercial thing but I think you find if you put that Bordeaux spray on like I say at green tip when they're just, just the first uh, pieces of, uh, of uh, foliage start to emerge from the tree in the springtime Oh good because yeah. we've never had it before No okay yeah, probably something to do with the uh, the, the, the cold uh, Some the, of the, my pears got yeah, spotted this yeah, year the, too. The, the, the wet uh, spring, uh, late winter and spring that we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other, the other thing is, you know, with uh, a lot of organic produce these days, we put up with a bit of skin blemish, and the the fruit taste inside is uh, is not too bad. Oh yes, we've we've peeled it, but it's, yeah. uh, it's very bad, you know. Yeah, it's a, one it's a bit bit off putting when you see it on mm. the skin. That's true. Yeah, okay. but we've we've eaten them, but we've yeah, we yeah. just pe- pe- peeled. Yeah, yeah, good on you. Anyway, thank yeah. you, Graham. You're a marvel. Good on you, Joan. Bye. Bye. Now you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show in the studio this morning. We've got <laughs> Stephen Ryan and Graham Morrison, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, the number to ring to talk to the team on air is nine. 419-0155. That's 9419-0155. Graham, that, uh, the um, mm. fig yes, is, yes. is very sweet, but the skin yeah. is um, slightly tougher than okay. some of the other figs yeah, varieties that, I've tried. Yeah, pro- pro- probably right. The black Genoa one, it's, like I say, it's a, the big gla- gla- glamorous fig, but probably... Uh, not not quite as palatable as, as, as some of the others. Mm. Some of the green figs are very nice too. You got uh, uh, white Adriatic, and uh, I think there's another. There's a w- 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 white white Genoa as well, and uh, yeah, I think that you, you look like you, you catch me in the hop a bit there, Pam. But I just thinking of the green figs. I think probably the the, the skin are a little bit more tender than the, yes. the, 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 that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah I think I have to agree with you though that brown mm. turkey is a mm. beautiful fig. Yeah, that really good, is. Good, my word. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good, 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 good variety. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stephen, let's yeah. chat about the plants you brought in. Uh, all right. Well, we'll start with uh, one of my favourite groups because it's sort of cyclamen season. I don't know that there is really a season because I've got them in flower pretty well all year round these days. Yeah. But you sort of have this sense that when the autumn hits, there's a whole series of different ones that flower in the autumn. So you feel like that's the beginning of the season for them. Yes. Uh, so the common one, Cyclamen hedrifolium, that's coming out now. I've got a big drift of that in the garden at home looking lovely and it's pink and white and with not a skerrick of leaves up yet. So you've got all these little flowers poking out of the mulch, which looks really cute. Uh, and the one I brought in this morning is a slightly rarer one, Cyclamen graecum, the Grecian Cyclamen. Um, it doesn't just come from Greece. Uh, it is found in Turkey and, and some of the Mediterranean islands and what have you. Uh, but it sort of concentrates around that area. Um, and it probably, of all of them, has the most interesting and diverse leaf patternings. So uh, also a lot of the plants will have a burgundy reverse to the leaf, which isn't all that important ornamentally because you don't see it unless you turn them over. Um, But it's one of the sort of characteristics that this species has. Uh, It's usually pink, although you can get white forms of it. Uh, And you could spend your whole life collecting different leaf patterns. 
uh, of it. Uh, <laughs> right. It's truly remarkable. It gets a very big tuber under it that has a permanent root system that sits directly below the tuber. Uh, so you get these big, thick, thongy-like roots that uh, grow below the tuber. Uh, it will grow perfectly happily in full sun, uh, but make sure the tubers are buried reasonably deeply and put a mulch over them. Uh, and then they'll cope with the, the full sun uh, without an issue at all. Okay. So you could grow this one in almost any part of the garden. Um, uh, like most of these, they look better in drift, so there's no point in having a plant. No. You know, so uh, either be very patient and wait for yours to self-seed in quantity or when you plant, put several in. Uh, and that gives you the opportunity too of um, when you're buying your young plants uh, to select interesting and different leaf patternings so that when you've got the plants there, the flowers are gorgeous, but when the flowers go over for the rest of the winter, right through into mid-spring, you've got these beautiful marbled and variegated leaves uh, which give great impact in the garden. So mm. I think they're really good. So at this time of the year, there's, there's about three or four species that are in flower at the moment or coming into bloom. Uh, Graecum is one, Hedrofolium, the common one is another. Uh, I've got Cyclum and Silicium, which is a much smaller, softer pink flowered species that uh, makes quite a small, dainty little plant that's coming into bloom at the moment. Uh, Intaminatum is even tinier again with tiny little white flowers on it. Uh, and, there, and so there's quite an array of little autumn flowering species coming out. And uh, they are really good plants. They're great fun to collect because there's so much diversity amongst them, even though there's not a huge diversity in flower colour. Uh, but there's a huge range of flowering times uh, and you've got all this interesting diversity in foliage so you can have a lot of fun collecting them uh, but do remember if you're planting species of cyclamen it's a good idea not to plant one of everything plant a cluster of one then if you're going to have another variety plant it somewhere else so that you've got a concentrated effect mm. yes you yes. know if you've got one that flowers in the autumn and one flowers in the winter and one flowers in the spring and you've got them all growing together then you really don't have the sort of show you should have uh in fact i often paraphrase something there was a famous gardener in england who once said no matter how small your garden you should have three acres of woodland um mm. uh, i suggest you should have three acres of cyclamen because oh, uh, yes. <laughs> they, they really are they're fabulous they're little lovely. Plants. Mm. and quite a number of them are also scented you don't normally find scent in cyclamen graecum mm. but some of the uh particularly the spring and summer flowering species have got really beautiful perfumes uh, so they're worth growing for that as well uh, and there are some that are almost impossible to grow you've got to be a really good grower to grow them so there are some species that are that give the ch throw the challenge out there to those of us who like taking on a little bit of a horticultural challenge which I think most gardeners do yes uh, I'm sure they do but the vast majority of them are tough as nails mm. and people sort of think of cyclamen they think of the big pot ones that you get for Mother's Day and so many people kill those quite easily. Mm. And so they assume the genus is hard. But, in fact, all these little wildlings are remarkably easy and, and about the only real pest or problem that they have is you because when they're dormant, uh, their tubers make very good targets for forks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you sort of have to know where they are yes. so that you don't actually damage them yourself when you're pottering around in the garden. And that's that's the main thing you've got to watch out for, yeah. really. Most of the species, Stephen, would be more suited to ground planting than a pot plant on our, uh, a window ledge. <laughs> window ledge. I certainly yeah. wouldn't take them indoors unless you wanted to have them just as a, a thing on the table for an evening day, meal or yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, so certainly not indoors. Uh, most of them can be pot grown, but mm. you'd grow them on a veranda or in a fernery or something yeah, like that if you yeah. wanted to. But I find 
because they're restricted to a pot, uh, you, you don't get the same propensity for self-seeding that you do if you've got them in the garden. So if you can get them out into the ground, then you find that they self-seed quite prolifically and they build up into colonies quite fast. And, in fact, the seed has a sort of a sticky coating around the outside of it, uh, which ants find absolutely uh, irresistible. Uh, and so you'll sometimes find cyclamen popping up sort of metres away from where the parent plants were because some clumsy ant dropped the seed on the way back to the nest. Um, And uh, so they can come up in most unlikely sort of spots. And they'll often pop up in the crack between pavers. And uh, I've actually got some of the spring flowering one, Cyclamen repandum, that's coming up between the barge boards on the bottom of the shed. So the tube is actually inside under the floor of the the shed somewhere. But the leaves and flowers pop out between the barge boards and you've got these funny little pink flowers that come out and it's obvious that a, an ant had carried the seed in there somewhere uh, and it's still growing and flourishing so, Fantastic. so they are really tough little plants uh, the tubers can get quite big uh, apparently this particular one cyclamen graecum uh, they've actually had tubers that are up around about five or six kilos goodness so, and they can live for donkey's years. Goodness, I've got cyclamen hedrofolium that would be easily the size of a soup terrine right. uh, that I bought with me when I started the nursery in 1980, and they were already large tubers then, uh, and they're still growing. And mm. each of those tubers probably gets 100, 150 flowers every year. Wow. Uh, and it's produced mm. seedlings all around them. Mm. And uh, they, they really are. They're remarkable little plants. Uh, and they're, particularly the autumn ones, I think, are just so cheery as they pop up out of the bare dry ground at this time of the year yes. uh, they, they sort of tell you that the season's on its way and you know they're one of those herald plants and I just love them so cyclamen graecum is the one I bought in this morning and as I said you can get a white form of it although it's comparatively hard to find uh, I occasionally have a white seedling that I sell uh, but the pink one is gorgeous and the leaf patternings are amazing mm. so really yeah. worthwhile Fantastic. Stephen, the, the stickiness as you're talking about uh, prompted a, a, a memory uh, this week or, or, or just be, be before, uh, I think it was a radio program or, or something I read, but they've, they're introducing drones now, you know, which is a big thing in the world, of course, yeah. uh, in, in the war, war effort. Uh, they, they take them for photography. I was at Bowles the other day and uh, at, a, uh, at a Heatherdale and this little drone taking photos buzzing around, you know, three or four metres up, up, up above us. And uh, they, they were saying that in Japan now they're using dr- drones for pol- pol- pollinating or the, the research ca- ca- coming in. And the, 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 the drones got a little st- 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 sticky glo- glo- globule thing, you know, and, and they had with, granted they were big flowered things like li- 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 lilliums, but the drone had just touched the stickiness on there, pick up a bit of pollen, then go to another another one and, yeah, you know, give off the pollen to the mm. other, other flowers and... They're, they're actually working on, on one that's virtually yeah. the same size as a bee. Yeah. So they're yeah, looking sure. at it for the yeah. commercial world, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For um, where In the home garden, yeah. I'd go out and deal with this myself. Yes, I think so. Paintbrush works very well. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> you can imagine like uh, uh, mechanical bees in orchards sort of things yes. just buzz, buzz, buzzing around. It. Yes. Okay, it's a cloudy day and the bees are not out. Send, send the drones in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Dearie me. It's amazing what they can do. We're going to go next to our good friend Robert on Phillip Island. Good morning, Robert. Hello, how 
are you? How well, you thank you. We haven't heard from you for a while. No, no. Well, all the hot weather, I sort of hibernate a little bit to get Fair out. Fair enough. Oh, yes. I uh, haven't even been out with a ferret. Okay. No. Oh, yes, I did. I went out last week. We got a cool day, so out I went, and I got uh, five rabbits. Well done. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, two got away, worse luck, and I don't know how, but anyway, I had... Uh, I had rabbit casserole last Wednesday night for tea. Oh, there you go. Oh, very, very good. I think, is it today they're releasing the Colosi <laughs> virus thing into oh, the oh, rabbit population or here? Might, might be the end of it all. <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, um, uh, Stephen, could I ask you uh, on behalf of my wife? Yeah. Some, we find some flower seed uh, hard to get going. We don't have glass houses and all. Yeah. Now, especially pansy seed, yeah. some flower seed, even little linearia, are some seed hardish to get going or are we doing it the wrong way? Uh, look, it could be a bit of everything, actually, Robert. I mean, some some species of seed are quite literally more difficult to germinate than others, so there is a, right. uh, a gradient of difficulty within seeds, uh, so there is that side of it, and, you know, some seeds need a little bit more expert help than, than others if you're going to get them to, to germinate right. well. Uh, one of the big issues with raising flowers, or in fact some vegetable seeds as well, uh, is that um, a lot of people actually cover the seed too deeply. Uh, so you've got to be careful that you don't overcover seed. Um, most flower seeds, you don't need greenhouses and things like that to raise them, but a spot where you can control the watering is important. So I would sort of have them on a veranda or somewhere where, you know, if you get a downpour or something, it's not going to wash the seed down through the seed-raising oh, right. mix or whatever. Yeah. Uh, actually, speaking of mixes, I normally use a good commercial potting mix in preference to a seed raising mix i find most seed raising mixes too gutless Mm. and they don't really keep the seedlings going when they germinate well enough Uh, so i would use a normal potting mix Uh, and instead of covering the seed with potting mix once i've sown them on a on a nice smooth surface uh, i normally use a bit of fine gravel or very coarse sand and i sprinkle that over the top the reason being that air and light can still get round the grains of gravel, so the seed will still germinate. It also helps to discourage slugs and snails because they don't like crawling across it particularly. Uh, it also discourages mosses and lichens from growing. Uh, and uh, uh, I find a little coarse gravel a far better seed-raising cover than putting some more potting mix or whatever over the top of them. So I'd try that. And remember that germinating seed needs to have constant moisture, so you can't go away for a few days when you've sown your pansy seed. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, Pam, uh, uh, Pam? Yes? uh, Have you replanted your daffodil bulbs, or are they still in pots, or what, what... Did you get some, uh, nice... some, are, some are in pots, some are in the ground, Robert. Oh, right. Can you take another, can you take another 50 or 100? Oh, goodness <laughs> me. <laughs> I'd never say no, Robert. <laughs> okay, good to talk to everybody and great, great program. Pleasure, pleasure to listen to it. And good to hear from you again too, Robert. Okay, then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
was thinking with the seed thing when I'm sowing them, uh, another art of the game is to get something fairly fine with with a spray. Yeah. You know, if you whack, whack on something that's a bit coarse, it disturbs everything, doesn't it? So yeah. I think the yeah. seeds come up to the top or whatever. So oh, yes, yeah. or they get washed right down if they're very yeah, fine yeah, seeds. Yeah. And, in fact, some of the finer seeds, like, say, if you're going to try and raise begonia seed, for instance, say, that really needs to be sown on the surface because yeah, right. it's so fine mm. that if you put a covering over it, you generally just swamp it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it depends on Horse, the – Horses the, for courses. Yeah, 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 yeah. It depends on the coarseness mm. of the seed. Uh, I raise uh, anything in the Ericaceae family, so Ericas, Rhododendrons, uh, all those things. They have very fine seeds, okay, yes. and I find mm-hmm. the only way I have success with that group of plants is if I sow it on the surface, yeah. but I sow them in um, uh, sort of Chinese takeaway food containers because oh, they're yes. okay. see-through, uh, yeah. and, yeah. and I don't have holes in the bottom. I put mm-hmm. moist um, peat moss in. Uh, just moist. I sow the seed on the top of the peat moss mm. and then I seal the lid back on it. Okay. And just leave it till it germinates. Mm. And you don't have to rewater or anything. Yep. And there's a very rare tree from North America called the sorrel tree, Oxidendron, which has the most stunning autumn foliage. Just a beautiful tree. And I've tried growing it from cuttings for years and it's really, really fussy. It's really difficult. And a friend of mine had one with seed on it this year and I said, oh, do you mind sending me some seed down uh, from Stanley? And... Uh, so Jenny sent me an envelope with some seed of the oxidendron in it. I looked in and I thought, oh, this is like dust. And yeah. so I, I sowed the seed and I got probably yeah. a couple of hundred germinate. Yeah. So wow, I've got well all, these, done. all these little tiny oxidendrons <laughs> that uh, are in little tubes at the moment. They're probably about half an inch in the, in the old measurements. But they've done that since the late winter, early spring when I sowed the seed. Next spring when they shoot away, I'll get them up to a nice size in a six-inch pot as good saleable plants. Fantastic. Yeah, but that's yeah. the way I germinated yeah, them because if you, if you watered them at all, the water would just wash the seed yeah, down yeah, in amongst yeah, the true, peat true. moss yeah, and true. they'd just disappear. Yeah, it's, yeah. An, it's an art. Yeah, 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 so there are little tricks like that yeah, that you can true, use. True, 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 true. Mm. Wow. But certainly begonia mm. seed I would, I would treat that yes. way if I was sowing it. Yes. Pam, just a, I'm yes, sorry, sorry you, Graham. You, uh, just, um, you, you go, Pam. Just, just before we move on, um, we still do have two free double passes for um, two gardens uh, opening up uh, at Reedsdale next weekend. So if anyone would like to get one of those uh, free double passes, uh, do give Vicky a call on 94190155. That's 9419. 94190155. Zero one double five, and first two callers can receive one each of those uh, free double passes yeah, for what next a nice weekend. Day out. Mm. Beautiful day out, yeah. yes, mm. absolutely. And as I say, with three gardens opening up there, yeah. plenty mm. to see and do for yeah. the day. And you could always call into Kyneton on the way out or the way back for yes. a cup of tea or a lunch or something. Absolutely, mm. yeah. yeah, make a real day. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, wonderful. Yeah, now, Graham, oh, you're a, a book person, Pam, and you, you, you like your books, and the listeners out there might have seen in the age uh, a, 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 a what, what, do you, what do you call it the the, the pre- preview of a or a a, a an article on uh, by Peter Vol Vol Vol, Vol- uh, he's, the, the book is called The Hidden Life of Trees. Okay. And it's a, such an interesting – they had just – I haven't read the book myself. I have myself. just finished it. Yeah, the, oh, okay. The, 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 yeah. You know all about it. It's fascinating. But, but, but you know, just he's lived in a forest sort of thing and studied and it's been, yeah. been his, his his life in there sort of thing. And he's talking about the, the language that uh, tr- tr- trees have, which is one thing that sort of, you know, interested me. And he's talking about, you know, communication between humans 
we've got voice and we've got reading, we've got m- m- many different ways of communicating. His argument is that the trees communicate by scent. And he emphasised this, or he, uh, the, the, the example he gave was in the savannah in uh, South, South Africa, or Af- Africa, I'm not too sure exactly where in a- a- Africa. But uh, the, uh, the, there were these uh, uh, thorn umbrella acacias and the... Uh, 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 the uh, uh, the ones with the long neck, the, the giraffes. The giraffes. Thank, thank you. Uh, the, the, the the giraffes uh, munch into these trees. It's, it, it's their food, and uh, the uh, as soon as the the munching start starts, the actual acacia uh, produces a toxin in the leaves, and it's only within minutes or thing the toxins there, and the the giraffe realises this doesn't taste good good at all. So so he he he, he meanders on to, a, to 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 another bush. But they found that he doesn't go to the surrounding bushes. He, he goes at least 50 metres, hence to, to, to uh, acacias out of range because the, uh, the, the acacias that are close to the one he's just munched get the signal somehow. And the only way they can get the signals is the scent that the, the acacia puts out. Okay. And, and, and if the, 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 the giraffe goes to those that are close by to the one he's just munched, they've had time to put their toxin up into the leaves and, 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 and not, not, not there. And they found that, again, the favourable wind sort of thing, the, the, the uh, uh, giraffes get a little bit used to what, what the, and so they'll go upwind sort of thing to feed on the acacia rather than go down the wind where the, the acacias have got the, the I think it's eth- ethylene, but it's a, a, a gas thing that they exude that gives the, the, the trees adjacent to them a, a warning. Amazing Good to think that, that, that actually happens, isn't it? But and the so, fact that the giraffe so, has worked out that he yeah, has to go. That, that's right, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah, heavens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there you go. Well, it is a good book. I, I can recommend it to anybody. Uh, it was uh, a copy of it was given to me a few months ago, and I've only just had a chance to pick it up and read it in the last few weeks. And I quite literally, I think, finished it last night. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a fascinating book, and it talks about not just how trees can communicate like that. It talks about their their fungal relationships as yeah, well, and how different sure. fungi can communicate mm. things between yeah, even yeah, between species yeah, 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 uh, in a forest. So a healthy forest will have this mycorrhizal connection between a lot of the trees, and and the fungi will communicate. Uh, important information from one tree to the next and so forth all the way through the forest. Good Uh, heavens. So an old growth, undisturbed forest has this whole sort of network of communication going on uh, between species and between the same species, you know, trees of the same species within a forest. Uh, And in fact, some trees via their fungi will feed other trees uh, that are struggling, so they move nutrients between specimens uh, to help those that are, are struggling uh, via their fungi connections. Gosh, look after their young, yeah, sort of thing, they you know, do, yeah, yeah. yeah, So, parental <laughs> trees look after their young until such time as the parents give up the ghost and <laughs> allow a bit of light in, and then the younger trees take off. So, a lot of those little stunted trees underneath the canopy of big trees sitting there waiting their turn, they would probably die normally, but they sit there like a little stunted bonsai for years because they're actually being helped by their parent trees around them to sustain themselves until such time as 
their turn comes. So it's really an interesting book. So, yes, I would recommend it to anybody, Graham. It's a really good read um, and it'll open your eyes to a whole range of connections. Yeah, yeah, sure. So what what was the title of it again, Graham, for listeners? The the, the Hidden Life of Trees. Okay. Yeah, by Peter. It's W-O-H-L-L-E-N-B-E-N. I I pronounce it as my German-speaking wife told me it was Vullaveen. now the other thing, it was the same book that you talk, talking about a handful of forest soil. There can there be more living organisms in that that handful than there are people on the face of the earth. Yes, Just shows, shows, you know, amazing, the, isn't and, it? And a lot of science science going into that, you know, the bio, you know, fungi and yeah. b- 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 bacteria and the symbiotic relationship that goes on in down down in the soil. I think in that same handful, there's something like forty. Thousand different species of bacteria. Gosh, it's, it's a, the, yeah. the, the numbers. There's so are little that we know about that whole sort of <laughs> soil flora and fauna. Yes, yes. Um, that uh, yes, you could spend many scientific lifetimes studying. <laughs> yeah. You still won't know that much, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So yeah, yeah, so it's fascinating. Oh, yeah. So it's it's a, certainly a book worthwhile looking out for. Um, it was given to me as a gift. I did a, a garden walk. Remember, I did that sort of ancient trees walk. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, the the lady Helen Kochu who owns the property, I I did it in. Uh, gave it to me as a gift after my walk around the garden. Um, That's a very appropriate gift. Yeah, I thought it was a lovely idea. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, I, and it certainly had me in because I, you know, virtually every night I'd read a chapter of it and, and he goes into all sorts of unexpected directions with, um, with how he uh, understands trees working in a forest. So mm. it's definitely worth a read. Fantastic. Let's talk about another plant, Stephen, while we've right, got well, the we chance. Might, we might go for this exotic little number. Uh, I have got a cold-hardy gloxinia. And if anybody knows what a gloxinia looks like, and many of our listeners will, they're normally big, gaudy, trumpet-shaped flowers uh, that sort of sit on a rather stodgy plant in a way, mm. uh, and they make a, a – they're basically a greenhouse or an indoor plant. Uh, they have a tuber underneath them, um, and you treat them a little bit like you would tuberous begonias if you're going to grow good gloxinias. Uh, but there's more to that genus than most people realise. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, and I bought one along today, which is native to Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, and uh, Bolivia, uh, called uh, Seningia tuberflora. Now, this one is a cold hardy one. It's summer growing. It has a tuber under it that it dies down to in the winter. And the trick with this is that it obviously comes from summer rainfall areas that are quite dry in the winter. So you've just got to keep the tubers dryish in the winter. Doesn't mean they have to be dry, dry, but they have to be dryish. Uh, and then you give them plant summer irrigation. It makes a good pot plant. Will grow well in a fernery or a shade house or somewhere like that, where it gets reasonable light, but not a lot of direct sunlight. Uh, and it gets gets up to around about sixty centimeters or so tall. And it has long, narrow, tubular white flowers, which it produces at this time of the year. And although Pam tells me she can't smell it terribly well, no, I think it's got a really strong <laughs> and evocative. Perfume. So, and you're the one with the cold. And I've got a cold. So, uh, but I have to say, when I haven't got a cold, it's even stronger and more evocative. Uh, and I think it's a lovely plant, and it multiplies by the tubers, so you can end up with quite a colony of them. Uh, and it would look lovely in a big terracotta pot on a veranda or something like that. Uh, a reasonably easygoing plant, and something you just don't see around very much at all. Mm. So that's Seningia uh, tuberflora, and it's one of the. Uh, 
cold-hardy uh, species in the Gloxinia family. Yeah, so yeah, there you yeah. go. So R- Rather elegant the way it arches over and down. To yeah, and you've got these got long got, bells yeah, that yeah, sort of hang yeah, and yeah. almost <laughs> reminiscent of an angel's trumpet or something like that, the sort of yeah. dioramas. Uh, so, um, yes, this is the first year I've grown and flowered, flowered it uh, and I'm very taken with it. So mm. I think it's a lovely sort of late summer autumn flowering perennial to, to have in the garden. Mm. Beautiful. Okay, let's go to our next caller, and we have uh, Marika, who's in Footscray. Good morning, Marika. Oh, good morning, guys. Um, I'm calling because at Christmas I was responsible for the cheese platter, so I got some beautiful cheeses and um, some dried muscatels, and then um, which were just delicious. And um, so I was just wanting to ask about growing a muscatel um, vine. Um, I've got a north-facing, um, just a small sort of kitchen garden. Um, the soil's not great, but I've been building it up and just wanted to get your thoughts and any tips. Yeah, I've got a uh, a, uh, a white muscatel and, and a black muscatel in my collection there and a, and a couple of other uh, other grapes. What I, I did, if you have, if you know, constricted with a fairly small area, I've got one in a fairly large pot. I suppose it stands uh, you know, a, a, a metre t- t- tall and it's almost oh, about a third, third of a metre wide. But I've run that up a post on my veranda and then, you know, tra- 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 trained it along. As uh-huh. I've, uh, in, in the nursery days, I had a lot of uh, Italian customers and they would... Uh, uh, have a, a pergola, you know, where they took it over, and it worked, worked out very well. It, up a post and over the p- p- pergola, of course, gives you shade in the in the in the in the summertime and uh, it, sun, sunshine in, in in the wintertime. But my, my mine has just gone up to to, to uh, the, the spouting. Then I've put 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 some wire either side and trained it along there. And I've got you know that again. That's a north facing one, Marika. And uh, it, you know, I've got there's plenty of bunches of grapes there, and it, 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 it works out well. So, uh, it, it, and you it, dry them, do you? No, I, 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 I don't. I, 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 I get get into them, eat, eat them all before They're I get all to gone. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you treat them like you would an average grape, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. true. true, true. Yeah. 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 yeah, just yeah. in the same way as yeah. you would any other grape, that's as far that's as growing, right. pruning, yeah, and yeah. conditions. There'd be a bit of science about drying them, but there's a bit beyond. Me, I think up in yeah. the you know grape growing areas up yeah. the the, yeah. the Murray they've got great racks and stuff where they the, 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 they dry them out. I guess yeah. it's you know there'd be more perhaps uh, mechanical you know heating ways yeah. to do it there than out in the sunshine. I'm not too, too sure to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the new, You'd probably yeah. be able to use one of those dehydrators. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, sure. um, okay. Great. That's really encouraging. And I just wanted to share the best tip that I got last year with. Um, We've got two gorgeous ringtail possums who were eating everything that, you know, yeah, leaves on my hands. That's how gorgeous they are, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, really wanted to find a way where we could happily coexist. <laughs> and uh, my aunt put me on to um, solar fairy lights, which yeah. I've just put all around the place and okay. um, that I want to keep them away from, and yes. it has done the trick. There you go. That's a very yeah. good tip, tip, tip because yeah. they really are a, a menace. 
to us yeah. people who like to grow ed- ed- edible ed- edible plants. That's They're for sure. even a pe- pest to those who want to grow ornamental plants <laughs> too. Okay, you know, okay. uh, I've got plenty of shrubs and trees in my garden that get a real hiding by the, the ringtail and the brushtail yeah, possum, yeah, so yeah, right, um, right, yeah. they can be quite difficult to yeah, deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're ravenous, aren't they? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. They have a bottomless stomach. I'm sure they yeah, do. They yeah, just yeah, eat and eat and eat. Yeah, sure. But that, well, that, that, that's, that's a great tip, Gregor. That's a good, good tip, yeah. my word. Yeah. 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 Our place looks like Christmas every day. But, uh, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's party time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, good on you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Now, we've had uh, a message from the outside line. Therese, uh, down in Noble Park, has some edible amaranth plants to give away. Um, perhaps if, uh, if listeners would like to take advantage of that, um, if they like to phone in to uh, Vicky, and Vicky can give that... Uh, that phone number uh, to anyone that's that's interested in grabbing some amaranth. You yeah. always have amaranth in the garden, don't you, yeah, Stephen? Yeah, it pops up as self-sown <laughs> seedlings every year, and uh, I ate some last night. We had uh, oh, some curried fish, and I did. Uh, I just uh, sweat off some onion in a saucepan, throw the amaranth leaves into the saucepan with a little bit of butter. Mm. Um, uh, have it collapse like you do with spinach or yep. silver beet yep. or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and mix it round with the onion and then just serve it as a green. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. doesn't seem to matter whether the amaranth has got up to flowering size or whatever or whether the leaves are tiny or great big ones. Um, they all taste much basically the same and they don't seem to get hard and chewy. Yep. Um, and uh, so we regularly have it as a, as a green. Mm. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah, and it sure. looks pretty in the garden when it comes out with all these lovely burgundy mm-hmm. oh, exactly. flower heads. Yeah, no, so, they look great. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, yeah, so we have amaranth regularly. There you go. And uh, <laughs> I think you can get both green leaved and the the red leaved coloured ones. Yes, the coloured ones are really pretty. Yeah, and of course, I'm almost convinced that you can eat any of them. So even those that you're growing for their flowers. And there's those wonderful long tassely ones oh, with the yes. green or burgundy flowers on them that you often see in florist shops and things. Uh, I'm sure all of them are uh, edible as well. Mm. And of course, if you can go to the effort, you can collect the seeds and turn them into amaranth grain. But I don't know that I. You'd have to collect an awful lot. I you think you would. Yes, <laughs> yes, and I, I don't think I'd be bothered. Uh, but the the greenery is perfectly good as, mm. a, as an edible green. Yes, so, as, as you said, you just treat it like spinach. Yeah, and it's, yeah, basically like yep. spinach. Uh, I find I don't like to steam it down too much no uh because otherwise it goes sort of sludgy uh, so i tend to try and do it without water just with a little bit of butter or something like that yep uh and that works really well yep uh, excellent so there you go okay all right uh we've got some more callers to get to uh next up we have bronwyn who's in drysdale good morning bronwyn good morning everyone love your show um two questions Firstly, um, Drysdale and down on the Bellarine Peninsula, we have a huge amount of the flowering gum. This year there's been about 15%, 20% of the trees that have flowered. Is that because we've had no temperature over 40 or what? Well, I wouldn't say it's you haven't had temperatures over 40 because I don't think they necessarily need that. But I think it's because we've had such a um, an up and down season where we've had sort of the odd warmer day and then we've had days that have been almost wintry you know we've had some very cool days and i think some of these trees have just decided that it's just not for them this year so they'll have an off year and then they'll probably flower their heads off next year so it will be a a cause by the climate so it's a a climate causal thing um but um yeah they don't necessarily need really stinking hot days to bring them into bloom 
Right, it's just more continuous. Oh, that's. We'll look forward to next year. Then. Oh yeah, look, they'll they'll have decided that they need to do it extra well yeah. next year. I reckon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's like we'll wait for it. Now, my second thing, Stephen, too, is Belladonna's. Um, my husband and I, we're retired, and we love travelling um, by car. We go to South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales. What we love is finding beautiful old back farms or where there's been farms, and these little Belladonna's popping up in the middle of nowhere love the history of them and we often will go into old farms and ask for one of them and bring them home can you tell me a little bit of history of where they're from and also how long do they actually last over the years oh well i know one's got to be at least 40 50 years old yeah look the the bulbs can go on for a long long time i would be surprised if they didn't live you know 60 to 80 years or more as an individual bulb and of course the colony keeps multiplying so you've got the pups that are produced virtually yearly so the clump gets bigger and bigger as, as the years go by um, and so they certainly can go on well pretty well forever I, mm. I, I can imagine them being on sort of where old farmhouses and things were uh, exactly the, 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 a lot of the people will say oh there'd been a farmhouse but it's been gone for 20 30 years yeah and and i was just going to say probably even a lot longer than that and in another hundred years there'll probably still be belladonnas on that site where there was an old farmhouse 20 Mm. or 30 years ago so they will keep going on ad ad infinitum and of course the thing with them is that they come from a climate that's very similar to our own victorian one because they come from south africa Oh, Africa. Oh, yeah, so they're actually an African bulb and they come from the same sort of Mediterranean style climate that we have here. So they have, you know, coolish winters uh, that are when they get most of their rain uh, and they get dryish summers so that they need that sort of drying off period for the, the bulbs to ripen for the next flowering season and so forth. Uh, so they're really at home here um, because right. it, it's got pretty well, it ticks every box that their natural habitat would tick. Terrific. Now, I often wondered, I, for some reason, I thought it was Europe, a European flower because of um, being planted for so long. I thought, well, the, the English must have brought them over. And um, so... Yeah, well, funnily enough, you won't see them growing out in gardens in England very often because they're not cold-hardy enough. No. Uh, So when they first went into Europe, they were probably greenhouse bulbs. Uh, Oh, that's where they would have come from. Yeah, they would have grown them that way. Uh, But people don't realise that we actually have, over the last couple of centuries, had quite a lot of direct connection uh, with trading and things coming from other English colonies because you've got to remember the Commonwealth... uh, you know, South Africa is part of the Commonwealth, Australia is part of the Commonwealth, right. uh, India is part of the Commonwealth. So a lot of those countries that were Commonwealth countries had direct trade links between each other and a lot of stuff could well easily have come direct from South Africa into Australian cultivation. It wouldn't necessarily was, have had yeah. to go on via England. Right. Oh, terrific. Well, thank you very much. And um, we're about to turtle off again, so I'll... Uh, oh, keep your eye out for Belladonnas because they're, <laughs> they're all flowering madly at the moment. My white ones are setting up their spikes and I'm well, hoping they'll be out for In fact, you might know there's a garden up near Trentham and um, we bought one a couple of years ago and the stem is about 24, 30 inches tall. Yeah. It's beautiful and there's about eight flowers on the one stem. Yeah, yeah oh, they're stunning things. Yes, yeah, so mine will either be not quite out or nearly finished by the time my opening comes up because that's the oh, way these right. things work. But uh, I might have some white belladonnas in flower for my opening in a fortnight. I'm watching the flower stems come up, so hopefully they will. Beautiful. Pa-pam. Okay, thank you very much, everyone. Okay. Bye. Pam, Bye. just uh, talking about uh, uh, the, what the climate does to plants, uh, I don't know whether I've always grown, grown uh, uh, strawberry guavas and... Uh, 
this, this, this year, I, I guess it was because of all the rain we've had, but I've never seen so many strawberry guavas, the, the l- little fruits, and I've gone through the tree and I've thinned them out. I think I've taken 90%, with that's not, not, not an exaggeration, uh, off sort of thing. Right. And probably because of the wet winter, just a suited thing sort of thing. And again, like you were saying, I mean, if, if, you, if you leave all those on, on okay, they're going to be miserable, tiny, too, too small. And, of course, uh, ne- the next year probably won't have one on the tree because all the energy goes into the, in, yes. in, into the fruit. So in fruit, fruit, fruiting thing, you can get too many fruits. And just a, a lesson for people out there, out there sometimes in when they're very immature, if you can get through and thin, th- th- thin them out, you get a lot better crop and you also get a crop for the following year. Mm. Mm. Sure. Good tip, Graeme. Yeah. Okay, let's go next to uh, Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Um, Tanner, good morning. Victoria, good morning. Uh, I have two ficus plants, and they're causing me a bit of a problem. Uh, they're called ficus damaropsis. Yeah. And they have a gigantic leaf, twice the size of a dinner plate. Yeah. But uh, they had that size leaf when I purchased them from the Botanic Gardens uh, in last autumn. And uh, over winter, the frost sort of got at them a little bit, but they survived. But now, at the moment, one ficus, uh, it's just about 75 centimeters high. Uh, it lost all its leaves, and uh, it sends up, the stem is about uh, an inch in diameter, and it sends up, the stem sends up a, a huge, um, well, I call it a bat, but it will unravel itself into leaves. Yeah, and the top, the the the, the tip of this of this uh, bud, if I can call it that, uh, is about ten centimeters. But it, maybe it's the heat that is sort of burning it a little bit. They're standing in the open. They are um, uh, exposed to uh, to the sun, but only for two or three hours, maybe four hours, over lunch time. Uh, one has lost all its leaves, and the other one uh, has one leaf left. And I have a lot of possums, and I sometimes think the possums have eaten the leaves. And then I found on another leaf um, the veins. Some, something has gnawing on the leaf, but along the veins. It's not eating the veins. It is eating the, 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 the matter between the veins. Now, do you think I should throw a shade cloth over it or... Yeah, well, for a start, you're lucky that they survived the winter up in the Yarra Valley anyway, Hugh, because it is a New Guinean ficus, and so it hates cold. Um, They hate wind because their big leaves get knocked about, uh, and they don't like a lot of direct sunlight because they grow in um, their natural habitat. They'll grow in sort of forested areas where they've got canopies over them that's why they actually produce such big leaves because they make big leaves to try and catch the sun in their natural habitat and of course you've put them somewhere where they're actually getting far too much sun uh i think they've shown a great deal of guts to even still be alive to be perfectly honest Mm. with you um if they were mine i would be lifting them up when the cool weather sets and putting them back into pots and putting them on a veranda or a shade or in a shade house or somewhere because i think you'll find that you'll lose them this coming winter because they've They've been weakened by all the things that have happened over the last 
six to 12 months. So with cold in the winter and then um, burning with the sun and dropping leaves and then not being able to feed themselves, uh, I think they will be struggling uh, to make it through. Stephen, shall I feed them? Uh, I wouldn't overly feed them. I, I would give them one of the seaweed emulsions or something like that to try and invigorate some root system. Uh, but if they haven't got much foliage on them, they're not actually going to take up an awful lot of feed because they sort of need leaves on the top to sort of drag stuff up from the bottom. So if there's not much foliage there, uh, heavy feeding probably won't help you. Okay. Well, um, for the time being, I perhaps put some... Uh, I would. Uh, we're, we're in for a few more warm days yet, and although the days are shortening, if they're getting hot sun on them in the middle of the day, it will burn whatever foliage they've got left. Okay. Well, thanks for helping me. That's okay. a pleasure, Hugh. Bye-bye. 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 And uh, let me see. Um, yeah, we'll just go quickly to uh, Pam, who's in Kyneton, of course. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. How are we, Pam? How are you all today? We're well. I wanted to talk to Graham about my quince tree. Yep. Okay, Pam. Um, good morning, Graham. Good morning uh, to you. Now, I've got a quince tree, and it's halfway down the hill, which faces south, and it does get a lot of wind, and I have, ha- and it's about five years old at most, and I have had a couple of years of not heaps of quinces, but some really nice-sized quinces on it. Good. But this year, I, with all the water, I was a bit worried about it in mm. the winter and I didn't think I was going to get any fruit. But then all of a sudden, I got a whole lot of fruit came onto the tree um, and then all of a sudden, I went down there and we'd, I can't remember if we'd had really bad winds, but there was no fruit left on the tree. The whole mm. lot had dropped off and there was quite... A lot of fruit on it. Is there mm. is there a reason for that, or was I just unlucky that the wind we had some wind when mm. the fruit was small, mm. and the other thing, Graham? Yes. <laughs> to ask too many questions. No. Um, do quinces like it dry? Do they mm. prefer it dry rather than wet? Yeah, sure. They're a tough plant, that's for sure. Yes. You know, I remember when my kid we we were. <laughs> Adjacent to Ruffy's Creek, and some uh, uh, person had pl- planted them along the along the creek, and they'd been there for m- m- many years, and seemed to have a, a crop each year. They were the, the 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 round ones rather than the elongated ones that you get more 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 today. But uh, how big were the quinces when they fell off? Do you reckon were they golf oh, ball size or three inches long? Yeah, they get getting up there. Yeah, two, right. two, maybe two. Yeah, you start two. to they start were only to little. Yeah, they wouldn't be of size that uh, someone would pinch the thing sort of thing. Uh, or the possums would get into them a bit of a bit I say that they... Graham, but I don't have trouble with possums yet. No. I am Pam, have you got doing... any cockies around? Um, yes, they circle my garden all the time. Well, I find the cockatoos take my quinces off when they're about golf ball size on, yeah. uh, oh, on a regular they? basis. Yeah. Uh, I think Stephen's right on to it. That'll, that'll yeah, be the story. The, the buggers, yeah. they come yeah. in, they don't eat them, they yeah. just yeah. Yeah, just chop them off just, and drop them to the ground. Can, can they be. were all just on the ground. The whole yeah, well, it could be cockies because yeah, sure. <laughs> they don't actually eat the quinces, they just yeah. chop them off. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, that, that's true. I get a lot of sulfur crested around here. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah I reckon that could easily yeah. be what's yeah. doing it, Pam, because they yeah. do it to my tree. Yeah, uh, right, okay. So, so, so the, the wetness or the dryness of the tree wouldn't have. Mm, not normally. No. Uh, I mean, quinces will cope uh, with almost anything. Exactly. They do, incredibly don't they? Tough. I know they're hardy. Yeah. They're yeah. growing yeah. on the side yeah. of the road out towards yeah. my daughters. Yeah. The yeah. trouble is, yeah. we, you know, every year I think, oh, I'm going to get some of them, but, you know, the birds have other ideas. Yes. And okay then, thank you for that. But okay. I'll have to yeah. be more vigilant in future yeah. over that. Yeah, trend. if you want any yeah. fruit, you you have to yeah. discourage the cockies yeah. one way or another because they do that. And once they've learned, I mean, cockatoos live for a year, a hundred years. So once they've learned about something, <laughs> they'll be back they, next year. They come back every year yep. after that. Yep. Yeah, the thing they, I think they send scouts out, you oh, know, yeah. ca- combing the the, 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 the sort of suburbia. And oh, look, well, once you find something, it goes back to the the, the flock, and it's over here. Yeah. Boys, and they all come in and really devour your, your crop. Yeah. They come in here of a night time and they sit in the poplar trees and the willows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they don't worry about gum trees around here, they just like all the English trees. Yeah. And, um, uh, yes, and, and I mean, I love to see them, but um, yes, all right, I'll have to be more careful. And Stephen, the um, el- red elderberries yeah. that I asked you about, I'm, I got some crab apples and I made crab apple and red elderberry jelly. Jelly, Fantastic. Ooh, lovely. Yes, so, and the chooks mm. absolutely love elderberries. Yeah, mm. so yeah They just me. love them. <laughs> Oh, oh, there well. you go. Yeah, they're, they're really funny. They get underneath the bush and yep. the, the Sussex, they jump up and down to try and grab the berries. Right. Mm, <laughs> Fantastic. Right. There, there you go. <laughs> you, oh, we would like to be invited out for some of that jelly, though. That, that yeah. sounds, 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 sounds good. I'm raising money for Langley Primary School. <laughs> yep, no, good on you. Okay, good on <laughs> okay you. then. <laughs> all right, then. I'll see you all later, and thank you so much for your help and advice. Okay, pleasure, thanks, Pam. All right, bye. Now, I'm delighted to say that uh, online we have Clive Larkman from Renaissance Herbs. Good morning, Clive. Good morning. How are you in this lovely, moist, cool day? It is a lovely, moist, cool day, but I hope it's a bit moister by the time yes. we leave the studio. <laughs> we could do with some rain down uh, here in Melbourne. I don't know what it's like up your way, Clive. Uh, we needed to rain between 2am and 6am Tuesday to Thursday. Oh, yep, right. yep, fair <laughs> enough. If you can organise that, Clive, send it my want. way as well. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. Now, Clive, we want to talk to you this morning because um, the Herb and Tilly Festival is coming up again. Yep, two weeks away. On yep. the 19th of March. Yep, it's very close. Today's we're out water blasting all the chairs, the tables to get ready for it. Okay. Is, is this, how many years has it run now? Is this about its third year or has no, it been no, longer? This, this will be our sixth year. Our sixth going. year, goodness me. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like just last year that we started, but yeah, time goes quickly. It sure does. Now, yeah. tell, tell the listeners what's going to be happening at the festival. Oh, we've got, we've got 95 storeholders there doing everything from rides to sauces to music to um, like restaurants doing food. And we'll have our plant stalls selling chilies. Right. We've got the hottest, world's hottest chili, Carolina Reaper, plus about eight or nine other super hots like Yaki Blue and Pink Pink Tiger and Naga Viper, all these really hot, super hot, nasty chilies. Right. Uh, I hope you've got some ones that aren't quite as hot for some of yes, our yes. listeners. We have some jalapenos and some serranos, yep. Hungarian blacks. We've probably got about 30 different types of chilli available. Fantastic. Now, you've got four stages operating as well. We do. We have one stage which has our competition stage. We have what they call the Hellfire Chicken Wing Challenge. That's where about 10 people get up and they have a race to eat five chicken wings covered in a Carolina Reaper-based sauce. Whoa. 
Then we're going to have Captain Chili, which has two heats on Saturday, one heat on Sunday, and a final Sunday night. That's who can eat the most hottest chili. And the killer is oh, dear. Oh, no. chili oil at the end, which they just go about five drops and give it up. So, <laughs> so all these macho men are going to be out there going, oh, I can deal with this. Yeah, and there'll be quite a few macho women out there too. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, dear. All trying to prove themselves. Yeah, that's why we call it Captain Chili. Right. Then we have Daddy Venn doing um, our cooking stage where we have people doing cooking lessons and demonstrations all day. And then the fourth stage, we have music entertainment. It has... Um, the Peruvian folkloric dance troupe who are amazing costumes. Mm, and bet. we have a blues session, rhythm and blues session, a Zydeco, which is a type of music from Louisiana, and a Willie Nelson session. And then we have two sessions with Latin fusion from a band called Juanaco. Fantastic. Sounds great. Now, you've also got lots of free ac- kids' activities. Yes, we have some really good kids' stuff. We have for the kids, we have um, party rides, face painting, animal farm. And the giant 16-metre by 14-metre fire castle, jumping castle, which wow. the kids love. And a new one, which he's just... The guy who has this group of um, rides has just designed, which is a brand new one, which we're not allowed to tell anybody what it is, but it's his trialling for the first time at our festival. Okay, so it's a surprise I, one. Yeah. I would have thought there'd be enough entertainment for children watching their dads nearly die after having a chili. <laughs> <laughs> It's a herb and chili festival, and there's lots of really, really good herb-based food. Yes, we have true. Sixteen or seventeen stalls doing food from everyone from a different country, plus four dessert stalls. Wow! And we also have what we call hot sauce alley, where some of Australia's top hot sauce people get together. And I used to think they're all the same, but they explain them. It's like having a Ferrari and a Maserati and a and a Jaguar at your store because they're all a little bit different. Okay. And one of the companies he. He's called Blair's Death Sauce, which is out of Louisiana, and is Ultra Death, Mega Death, Super Death. (laughs) Charming. And these all are food products, are they? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they release new sauces every year at our festival. But it's not just that. It's also drinking. We have a group called Moondog, a local um, micro uh, boutique brewer, and they brew beers just for the festival. Mm. And we have Matzo's from Broom coming over. And we have another company called Solale, which does lychee beer. Goodness. Okay. Go. Good Jeez. heavens. So it's, it's, we're always on the hunt for new and different food products mm. and different drink products yeah. to make it an exciting, innovative stimulation of your taste buds. Yes, absolutely. Right. Now tell listeners whereabouts the festival's taking place. It's at 125 Quail Road, Wandon. So you just follow the Maroondah Highway out there and the Warburton Highway out and you'll see the signs. And right. it's pretty easy to find. There'll be big signs. Well, we did have someone one year drive down our road saying we didn't have it signed. I said, well, didn't you notice the 600 cars in the car park? And the- <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. He said, you know what, people didn't know it was a festival. <laughs> <laughs> Clive, I used to be your neighbour there. I was next door in Quail Road there. Oh, between the and us. The yeah, that's what grows the lavenders. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, the boys have owned that one now, and they grow chilies and tomatoes and cattle. Oh, very good. Okay. That's good out there. So, yeah, and if you go to um, www.herbchilifestival.com.au and there's links to buy tickets to try booking. Brilliant. Oh, good. Now, now, costs, I see, adults, $24. There's a concession or for Eight, students, 18. 18. It's all concessions. It's students. It's pensioners. It's disabled. Yep, yep. excellent. Children under 14 are free. Yep. And there's also um, a family ticket for yes. 65, which is two adults yep. and two under 18s. Yep, and there's also a weekend pass because there's so much. Some people stay for the whole weekend now. I can imagine. And, and if you bu- book online, you get a free hat and you avoid the queues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, there you go. There's incentive. Sounds yeah. exciting. <laughs> we're, we're pretty proud of our festival and we have 
our extended family from up from Parksway come down. It's all family event, and we're really quite proud of what we do because it's a great family event. Everyone has a fun time, and yeah, it's enjoyable. No, it sounds great. So um, we should reiterate that it's eighteenth uh, and nineteenth of March. Times for that. Five? Ten till five, yep. 10am till five each day. Okay, excellent. And both days are identical, so if, if you can't, you no hassle, we say you come. Okay, that's brilliant. And lots and lots of food available. You don't need to yeah. pack a picnic. Stop eating now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're going to have some yogurt or milk somewhere available. Yes, and we also have the ambulance people there. Just, <laughs> oh, just right. in case. We've got ice cream. The, the guy makes his fresh ice cream, but he squeezes fresh fruit berries onto the Onto the ice cream as he makes it. Oh, nice. oh goodness me. <laughs> we okay. Have, we have chili ice cream as well, so just in case that everything else didn't get you going. Yeah. <laughs> We're all drooling here. <laughs> Fantastic, Clive. Well, all the very best with the festival. It sounds like it's going to be great fun. It will be. And thanks, guys. You have a good weekend. Okay, you too. Bye, Bye. Clive. Bye. Okay. Now, uh, Graham. A couple of callers now have called in about um, an Orlando Tangelo. You apparently yes. mentioned it one time when you were on here. Yes. Um, they mm. can't find it. Peninsula okay. nurseries don't know it. Do you have mm. any idea where they can get hold of one? Gee, that, that could, could, could be a difficulty, Pam, Pam. I've actually written to Murray Valley and tell, tell them they should propagate this one, you know, but I don't think they've had, they have any, anything on uh, I would have some bud wood if they wanted to get, get, get some bud, you know, you could start off like that. But uh, I noticed, I've, I was going to say before, I'd, I've got down, got down to Heronswood. I hadn't been there before and, uh, th- uh, two, two weeks ago. And it's worth a, a, a visit for pe- people. So it's an interesting place place down there. And they've got quite a few things for sale. They had tangelos there. They had miniola tangelo, but n- 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 nothing they often you to get some of these things off the beaten track a bit, yes. but they didn't have. I know Orlando there. Okay. Uh, so a bit, a bit, a bit of a loss there. The other people who get into a few different things up in Mount Evelyn uh, Birds Nursery, uh, they'd probably pick that up. He's a wholesaler rather than a retailer. But if they gave Bur- Birds Nursery a, a ring up in Mount Evelyn, <laughs> they, uh, he, he, he knows his stuff. The other person that would be uh, uh, so g- g- good is the ch- ch- chap up in Mil- Mil- no, Mil- Renmark, isn't it? Uh, Tolly's Nursery. Okay. Yeah, and he's—I think he did a Churchill Fellowship thing, and probably knows more about citrus in Australia than any other person. They do quite a bit of propagation up there, but Tolly's Nursery. Renmark, Renmark, Renmark. Okay, well, yeah, let's through, 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 through the week, I might fish around and just see if I can find, 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 find out myself and let, let, let you know for next week. Okay, that'd yeah, be sure. great, Graham. Yeah, okay. If people did want to take you up on your offer for sure. some, if they're, they're into yeah, sure. um, budding yeah, and yeah, grafting yeah, yeah, themselves, yeah. I'll give you the telephone number if you want. If you're happy to yeah, do sure, that. Yeah, sure, yeah. 041 848 Oh four one eight four eight two six one zero. That's it, Pam. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right. Uh, we are running through until nine fifteen. So if uh, if you want to jump on the phone and give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. That number is nine four one nine zero one double five nine four one nine zero one double five. We do have Stephen Ryan and Graham Morrison in the studio this morning. So uh, to have a, a, a chat to them. Nine four one nine zero one double five. Stephen, we've still got a plant we haven't spoken yes. about. 
Now, this this has been a plant that um, I, I would have to say has been a reasonably available garden plant for years. I've seen it around for a long, long time. Pops up every so often in, in nurseries and things. And is normally sold under its old name of uh, Schizostylus cucinia, uh, and commonly known as the kaffir lily, although there's a few different plants known as kaffir lily, so it can yep. be a little bit complicated. Um, the botanists have been at work again, uh, and <laughs> it's been sunk in with Hesperantha, which is another group of South African bulbs. And the only, the only reason it wasn't a Hesperantha to start with is that it grows in dampish soils in its native habitat, so it's not a truly dormant bulb. Okay. So they saw it as different from all the other Hesperanthas, mm. which have got little corms under them like a gladioli, and they die down to them uh, during the hot, dry weather. The Schizostylus, or now Hesperantha cucinia, uh, actually grows in moist meadowland sort of conditions, not terribly far back from streams and things. So it likes a reasonably moist spot in the garden, but it flowers pretty well right through the autumn, from late summer right through autumn. Uh, it has these sort of spikes of almost gladioli-like stems. Yeah, they do look a yeah. bit like a gladioli. Yeah, like a little sort of del- delicate gladioli. Yeah. The main difference is that the flower is uh, uh, completely even all the way around, where gladys tend to have different shaped yep. petals around yep. the flower. Mm. Uh, in the wild form, which this is, it's a, it's a nice sort of coral red, I suppose. Uh, you can also get rose pink. Uh, there is actually a white version out there as well. Okay. Uh, and they have these nice vertical stems that come up, more or less evergreen foliage, and they do look lovely in a border or garden bed anywhere. Mm. They grow quite well in pots, and it will grow in damp to soggy soils as well. Mm. So it will grow in quite a range of different conditions. It doesn't want to be deadly dry. That's the main thing. Uh, it's happy in the sun. It'll cope with semi-shade. Uh, the flowers cut well, so it's a good cut flower. And okay. they're long enough to make... They're lovely long stems. Yeah, so they make a really good cut flower. Yes. And, and it is a really pretty South African. So we've had a... a, a an, European, a South American, and now we've gone to South Africa in, in three pots, <laughs> which I think is pretty good going. That's right. Uh, so, um, yeah, so it's now Hesperantha cucinia, but you'll still generally find it under the old name of Schizostylus. Uh, there's a few different named clones around. Uh, the soft rose pink one is often sold as uh, Mrs. Hegarty. Uh, there seems to be another one out there of a similar colour. It might be the same thing called Viscountess Bing. Um the white one, I think, is just sold as Elba. Uh, and there's a slightly bigger form of the red one, which is called Major. Uh, so there's a few different forms of these sort of lurking around a bit. So they're worth looking out for. Mm. And they give a nice sort of verticality in the garden bed. Oh, yes. A really, really pretty plant. So, and they clump up quite quickly, so you'll end up with good colonies of them quite fast. Uh, so they're a, you know, a very gratifying plant. Perfect for in a border. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've just got the right sort of thing about them to yes. be sort of front to middling sort yes. of a border. Perfect. Uh, and because they flower so late in the season, they continue you through when some of your summer perennials have just about sort of given up the, the ghost for the year. Yep. So, yeah, Schizostylus or Hesperantha cucinia. Okay. Nice plant. Yep, yep, wonderful. All right, as I mentioned, that number again, if you'd like to uh, to join us this morning, we are running through until 9.15. The number is nine. 9- Four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. Graham, what have you got there? Yeah, that's. Uh, I've just got a, a peach I clipped off there. My uh, uh, late late Crawford Pete Pete this morning just to let people know that uh, one of the problems with uh, peaches are the brown rot, uh, of course, in the in stone stone fruits gen- generally, and. Uh, 
while the, the skin is intact, you know, they, they, they pretty well protect themselves, the fruits. But when the skin is broken with, with hail or that rubs against a, a limb or indeed an insect decides to, to, to burrow into the thing, mm. and one of the, the, the offenders, the main offenders, is what they call tip moth in, uh, in, in New South Wales. Here, at, here in Victoria, we usually refer it as oriental peach moth or oriental fruit moth, some, some say. But uh, they, because the reason it's called tip moth in New, New South Wales is because it, the same little, it's related to coddling moth, but it's a different one. It seems to like stone fruit rather than the poem fruit. Okay. And uh, they, 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 they'll, early in the season, particularly when the new growth comes out, they, they, they get in the, in the tips of the, the new, new growth. Just, you know, probably the, the, the moth lays its eggs and there's a little ca- caterpillar uh, lives in there. So, you know, early, early days, like late, late spring and, and uh, early summer, if they could go around to their trees as soon as you see these little bits do- dying off the top, usually there's a couple of dead, dead leaves on the top to show, show that the, the, the offender is there. And you, you cut, cut, cut those off and burn them or you know, put them in the Sulo bin. And uh, you know that, that that's a good w- way of, of, of c- c- cutting the pop- populations down. So okay. you, 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 you don't. But just another tip for the people out out there that are growing fruit. And of course, with the the other thing with brown rot is to be sanitation is so important. You know, they if if, if a, 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 a plant a fruit will get brown rot and it it, it, it uh, shrinks and and stays on the tree. If you don't prune that off through the winter time, we call them money, mummies in the in the trade because yep. they're, they're a mummified fruit. Yep. And the the, the 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 fungus disease carries over from one year to another, so it's very important to cut those out. You see, some some little twigs will also get in, infected in, in, infected and cut dead, dead, dead wood out of your, your your stone fruits is is another thing. And the other thing is that the the fruit that lays on the on the ground it it, it degrades and it's 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 generally covered in brown, brown rot to, to, to remove remove that every time you know when 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 you your season is through or when the uh, all you've you've picked all, all all your fruit and to get get rid of that that again minimizes the the overhang of that fungus disease get getting into the tree for the following year yes right so sanitation is very very important. Yes, but those those three things just to, to make, make make sure those mummies are re- removed. The 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 the, the, the tips the the, the 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 fruit trees to cut out any of those that did dips through the growing season, mm-hmm. and to uh, you know to, uh, clean up the rotten fruit after the, uh, the, the you've picked your fruit. Yeah. Yep, mm. yep, excellent advice. Mm. Yep, mm. fantastic. Okay, uh, I'm just waiting for. Uh, one of our next callers to come up. It is a reminder, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We are running through until 9.15, so if you do have a, a garden query this morning, there is time to jump on the phone lines and uh, give us a call. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155 to speak to the team. As I said, we have Stephen Ryan 
and Graham Morrison in the studio this morning. Stephen, I must ask you before we go to the next caller, yeah. what's happening with Plant Trust? Have you got anything interesting coming up? Uh, well, we've got a, uh, another outing coming up, and I haven't got all the details yet, but we're going to do an outing down to the Mornington Peninsula okay. uh, is our next planned one. And we're going to do a late winter one also out to the Melton Botanic Gardens, right? Uh, which is a place people should be aware of. It's uh, an amazing place where they've got a huge collection of small-growing eucalypts. They've got eremophilas. Uh, all sorts of dry climate Australian native plants growing out in this botanic gardens, which is really the sort of the powerhouse behind it is their friends group and their, their friends, friends group is very oh, strong, very They're powerful friends group. Amazing They've got council on side. They're getting um, uh, funding from all sorts of different sources and things. They are holding our Erymophila and smaller eucalyptus collections for plant trust. Okay, so we will be doing a visit out there, probably with a visit. Uh, to a garden in sort of Dali or Bacchus Marsh as well. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a day's outing there. So we've got quite a few sort of uh, outings coming up. Uh, which I think are, are great fun. Uh, and seeing as we've mentioned Plant Trust too, uh, uh, I'd love it if people knew about people who have really good collections of uh, any sort of garden plant, uh, whether it's ornamental, edible, whatever, uh, that they think might be uh, prepared to register their collection so that we know where it is and what's in the collection and so forth, which is the important part of the National Collection sort of thing, uh, we'd be very happy to hear from them at Plant Trust. Uh, and we, I haven't tried going in yet because I'm not really that technological, but we actually have got our Facebook page up and going, so it'd be nice okay. if people would follow us on Facebook. And uh, We've got a website being organised as we speak, so hopefully our website will be up and running fairly soon. Uh, so there'll be ways and means of accessing uh, information and things about Plant Trust if you need to. Uh, and, yeah, we'd love to have more people come along to our AGM and plant auction in September and all the different things that we're doing. Uh, it's, uh, I think, a very important organisation because it does, in fact, give us an opportunity to try and at least protect some of the biodiversity we've got uh, uh, because as we lose species and cultivars out, of cultivation in this country, uh, it's becoming more and more difficult to reintroduce it, mm. uh, if in fact you can. Mm. Uh, and of course, it's even more important if it happens to be Australian cultivars, because a lot of these things that are bred here never find their way overseas. Yes. And if we lose the amount of cultivation here, they're gone then forever. They're gone. You know, so that would be really sad. Mm. So, you know, a classic example of that is the um, Canna collection up in um, White Hills Botanic Gardens up in Bendigo. Uh, they've got a whole pile of old uh, hybrids that were bred by a man by the name of Cole who bred canners between the two wars, um, they're probably nowhere else in the world now. Yeah. Yes. You know? So a lot of Mr Coles' canners probably went overseas, but because places like England and stuff, canners can't be just planted out and forgotten in the garden. Um, they have to be kept greenhoused and things in the winter and all that stuff. Uh, they've probably disappeared out of cultivation. So if we don't have them there at the Bendigo Botanic Gardens, we probably don't have them at all. Yep. So, well, the other thing we should mention too is that you can... Um, Join Plant Trust, oh, even yeah. if you don't own a collection yourself. Oh, yeah. We're very happy for people to become um, 
members of the organization. Uh, their subscriptions help us run the organization. They can become part of our going out to do things. So you can go on all of the excursions and stuff. You don't need to hold a collection, uh, but you can certainly be part of the organization and help in lots of different ways. And we're also still looking for people who've got um, skills in certain ways or mm. others. You know, if somebody's got skills in, I don't know, PR or computer skills or filing skills or whatever, we're always looking for people who donate time to uh, to help us with all those sorts of things. Yep. So, uh, yes, I, I think it's uh, a good organisation to get involved in uh, and you could well be doing something important for biodiversity mm. in, in Australia. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Very worthwhile uh, mm. cause. All right, let's go next to uh, Sonia, who's in Broadmeadows. Good morning, Sonia. Good morning. Thank you very much for taking my, my queries. Shall I start? Yes, start. Yes, please. Uh, I've got three in order of, pre- of importance. Uh, one's about ivy, one's about passion fruit, and one is about rocket. Okay. The ivy one, I think you gave me advice before to get rid of it. Yes. Um, that you pull as much as you can out and then um, and chop it down and then paint. Um, paint uh, well, when new sprouts come up, paint them with poison. Is that still right? Except yeah. I have another problem. I was going to say, you don't just got... paint the new shoots. What you do is you cut them and paint the tips that you've cut. Ah, yes, the stalk. Yes. Yeah, like you do killing a tree. Yes, yes. Do, do exactly the same with the ivy. If, you, if, there, if there's no way of getting the roots out, that's the only way you'll ever get rid of it, is to gently just paint a little tiny bit of, of glyphosate in the neat form on the end of the cut stem. Uh, and I know we'll get lots of people who complain about us using it, but it is a very directed way of using it, yeah. and you're using it in very small quantities. Yeah. Uh, and there may be no other way of getting rid of it. Right. And this case, it's under a bungalow. I'm addressing, I have two. One is in our house, uh, which I'm following your what you've said. Yeah. Uh, under the house, it's got runners. Um, and it's extraordinary. It just, it, you, underneath there, you think it's, uh, it, it's green. I don't know why. Mm. Um, well, it must so, be getting enough light process. under there. Mm. Pardon? It must be getting enough yes. light under yes. there to keep it green. Yeah. So the same process. Mm. We get under and we just pull as much as we can and just yeah. do exactly mm. the same. The same process. Yeah, wear, wear, wear gloves, Sonia, because it can be have an allergic, you know, uh, it can cause rashes, I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yes, no, I, I, I treat it with a great deal of respect. Okay. No, thank you. The, now, the other one is, thank you very much for that, passion fruit. Um, I planted two passion fruits almost two years ago. I don't know why, uh, but it's grown absolutely like a, wildly, and I've got lots and lots of passion fruit. Good. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've got two things. One, well, several. Uh, first of all, when the passion how do you passion fruit because it seems to have a short life um, and and the other one is that I've got more flowers coming um, is this correct or, or would um, you know do I chop it off mm. and at what time of the year do I get someone to help me prune it yeah, there's a few few questions there. I'm a plant man rather than a, a, a cook man. I'm not too sure Pam might know. How, how do you, if you've got a lot of passion fruit, what do you do with them? <laughs> Give them away to all your friends. <laughs> you can take the pulp out and freeze it. Yes, you can freeze it, just yeah. in, in, in ice cube trays. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's probably the best way to keep it long term. Yes, it is. Um, uh, and, you know, 
Otherwise, I'd be picking them and using them fresh as you need them because uh, they'll stay on the vine for a fair while. No. They, don't, they don't have to be picked too quickly. I don't pick them. Mm. I just wait till they drop to the ground. I go out like getting eggs. Yes, that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair yeah, enough. Yeah, that shows they're ripe. Good, good way yep. to do, do it. But as far as the flowers are concerned, it is a bit off season. You know, usually it'd be a springtime flower, and they would mature this time of the year. So those flowering there must have been, a, you know, climatic conditions again that could cause them to come out that stage. Yeah. If if you, you know, if it's not too big a job, I'd, I'd, I'd go through and cut those flowers off because they'll try to mature in the winter. Time is too cold, and I don't think they'll come to anything for you there. Right. Yeah. The other thing I was just going to quickly mention: uh, I know my mother years ago used to make a passion fruit cordial, and and part of that process was actually boiling the the outer shells of the passion fruit, and you get a pink colour ah. for it. So, um, and and that would use a lot of passion fruit, I would imagine. So that might be another. Answer for you. Sonia, I think the other thing you said about the prune pruning there, they can be a very big vine indeed, and I had a big vine vine still still, still going, but I think... One approach is to take about a third of it off, you know, probably uh, 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 early spring, yeah. and uh, uh, and then you know that'll re- recoup, and you you know you don't have such a, a lot of passion fruit coming coming at the the, the one hit, but you you sort of got to con- control. I think one author uh, described a passion fruit as a compost heap up, up up on a wall, and you know you can get a lot of dead leaves underneath sort of thing, and there needs to be a, a little bit of thinning out, and uh, you know. With with, with the secretaries, probably early spring is the best time to do it. Early spring? Yep, yep. Yeah, okay, thank you very much. Good. And, and just a little quick one on the rocket. Um, I've got, uh, I, I planted some seedlings, I think. Anyway, uh, they're growing profusely and now they're flowering. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I presume that's going to seed. Yeah, it is. Yep. Uh, does that mean that now I should be planting the seeds of, an, of sort of fresh rocket somewhere else or do I just keep that patch going and... I just keep the patch going. I just let it seed and then the babies come up around the old plants and I pull out the old plants when they get woody. Yep. Uh, and then I've got a recurrence of seedlings coming up. Ah, so I just let nature take it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, Rocket's one of those plants that is basically a wildling uh, and you can let it do its own thing and, and just uh, reap the benefits thereof. Yep. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, Thank then. You. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodness, the calls are coming know, thick and fast right at the end of the We've day. We've got again. to try and get through them if we can. We're going to Anna, who's in uh, Wood End. Good morning, Anna. Oh, hi, Pam. Hi, Stephen, and hi, Graham. Um, this is a question for Graham. If um, uh, an old Italian man uh, said to me a little while ago that um, basically I was pruning my uh, fruit trees um, a bit too late. Um, all my stone fruit and everything and I'm hardly getting anything on a lot of them so um, he suggested that I as soon as I pick my fruit I should um, even if the leaves are still on the trees I should actually uh, prune them then Mm. is that correct Graham? Well, there's a few things like uh, uh, apricots and cherries. It's best to do it, you know, pr- 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 prune them in the springtime for the fear of this g- gamosa spread sort of thing. Oh, okay. Uh, I suppose that, that, that that's one thing, Anna. Right. The other thing is, you know, commercially now we do what we call a summer prune. It's yeah. really, I was over at uh, uh, the uh, Sustainable Gardening's Australia got to give a demonstration in pr- pruning, su- su- summer pruning, mm-hmm. and you can see 
sort of save yourself a lot of you know a, a big shoot sort of starts to come out you half you half back that shoot and and and, and, and that saves you doing it in the in, in the winter time and mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think uh, you know the the most pruning is done and you can see what's going on and stuff in June and July through the through the winter time with the exception of cherries and uh, and apricots but that's how how I would see it Anna yeah all oh, right now I've never ever uh, pruned my cherry tree and I seem to get quite a few cherries on yeah. on that sure. so yeah I'd leave leave it go if you're getting your re- results yeah. don't don't worry about yeah. it yeah. having seen mm-hmm. 30 foot high cherries covered in cherries in Crete when I was there yeah. uh, that had obviously never been pruned God yep. knows how they actually get at the cherries, but uh, they got huge crops of cherries. So cherries probably don't need that much pruning. No, yeah, true. yeah. And and just getting back to the uh, Tangelo, <laughs> Graham. Mm, um, yes. I belong to the uh, Mount Macedon Horticultural Society, um, and I know Stephen. And um, and of course, there's a lady there, um, Jill. He she has got the miniola. Okay. Um, I've mm. tried searching for it, and I just can't find it anywhere. Mm. Um, well, so certainly, uh, as I was saying, I was down, down at Heronswood, and they had mm. mini, miniola there in little, 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 little small pots for sale, but oh, not okay. no, no, not Orlando. Orlando is the one that I really you know hang my hat in, and it's just such a good thing. Oh, if okay. you start start picking them in, in, in July, and yeah. without. In exaggeration, I, I picked them this year, uh, early February, and they right. still had juice right through, you know, oh, yeah. r- r- right right through, as opposed to some mandarins and stuff that dry out on you, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, oh, that's it's, a shame because I was it's, down it's, that it's way. Good, 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 good fruit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, then. Yep. Thank you very much. Okay, okay. thank Anna, you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, we might go next to uh, Paul, who's in Seaford. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, everyone. Look, I'll be quick. Thank you. I know you. I know you want to get, pick up your walking sticks and your chairs and, and get out of there. It's now, look, I've got a lemon tree. Ah, it looks pretty bloody sick. Uh, it's got these ugly little bulbs uh, forming in the branches, mainly in the forks of the tree. Uh, the lemons, uh, some are good, but a lot of them, they look all right, but they're not, and they seem to have a ugly-looking bruise on the side of them. Now, uh, I don't know what it is, yes, but it just seems to be getting worse. Yeah. It's sit, sit with gall, gall, gall wasp, as it causes those. It's a problem right throughout. Fifteen years ago, we didn't have it in, 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 in our... Uh, it's, a, it's a native wasp come come down from... Uh, New South Wales, uh, and about all you can do is cut cut cut, cut those out. You know, the, the the most appropriate time to cut them out is late August, and uh, from then on they they emerge and they re, 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 re you know the wasp goes and lays his eggs underneath the bark of new new, new growth and away they go. But Paul, is there about a spray at all? You no, know, they say the the new one is you spray white oil in in de- December. It seems to you know help crack, crack right, their life life. Okay, at least I know what in the yeah, hell's going yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. Citrus call wasp. Citrus. Okay. That's it. I'll let you go. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Bye. And we have run out of time. Goodness uh, me again. Yes, again. Yeah, we, we will, of course, be back again next week at 7.30. So until then, bye for now. <laughs>